Welcome to the MAR Experience. My name is Matt Shedd. Haley had been through treatment and been in recovery for over seven years before relapsing and finding herself completely unable to apply what she had learned from her last period of sobriety. That's when she checked into MAR. In addition to helping her with her alcoholism and drug addiction, she also began receiving care for her issues around eating. Since then, she's realized that in coming to Mars, she joined a community for life, one that she could always turn to in times of crisis, and one that she remains active in giving back to. Why don't we just start by you just introducing yourself? Okay, well, I'm Haley, and I am in recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction and also eating disorder as well. I suffer from pretty much anything that you can get addicted to. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been sober since January the 24th of 2011, but that was not the first time I tried to get sober. Okay. So, yeah, let's let's go back then. Like, when, when when did you first start using and drinking and what that looked like? I my first drink was when I was 15. I grew up in a very um, loving home. Um, my parents don't drink. Um, I didn't know anything about alcoholism growing up. And so the first time I drank, I was 15. And I remember I was at a friend's house and we were going to go to a party and she was a little bit older than me and she asked me what I wanted to drink and and I had no idea because mm-hmm. I had never had a drink before, yeah. but I couldn't let her know. Right. <laughs> Because I was trying to maintain my image at 15. Right. And um, I'm like, you know, I don't know. What are you having? And um, she was like, oh, um, I think we drank uh, Boone's Farm or Arbor Mist or something really classy like uh-huh. that. Yeah. And right. um, so she asked me what flavor and I guess strawberry. And that was the right, right guess, I okay. guess. And um, so that was my first drink was when I was 15. And I was a blackout drinker from the start. Really? Okay. I blacked out the first time I drank. So you didn't mess around. I did not. I mm. did not. I don't know anything. There's functioning alcoholics. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. I'm not a functioning alcoholic whatsoever. So I blacked out the first time I drank. And I thought that was normal. I okay. thought everyone did that. Yeah. Because right. I didn't have anything to compare it to. Mm-hmm. So I drank a handful of times um, in high school. Uh, I was very active in high school. And... I wasn't really allowed to go to parties, so I didn't have a lot of freedom. So when I went to college, I was free mm-hmm. at last. Um, I did get in a little bit of trouble whenever I was a senior in high school. Um, got caught drinking at junior, senior prom weekend. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I said I would never drink again. And it probably lasted like maybe a month <laughs> into okay. that summer gotcha. and I drank again. But when I went to college, that's really where my alcoholism escalated, mm-hmm. as well as my eating disorder issues as well. And so I made it through one semester of college. And then the second semester I had to withdraw um, due to eating disorder issues as well as my alcoholism. But I had no idea that I had a problem drinking. I Mm -hmm. really, I knew I had a problem with my eating disorder, um, but I did not think that alcohol had anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. So um, what's an alcoholic to do, but to transfer colleges after seeing a therapist for my eating disorder, never once brought up the fact of how much I drank and, um, went to Valdosta State University my second year and and my alcoholism and drug addiction really just spiraled out of control. When I was in Valdosta, I have a habit of going a semester, dropping out a semester. So that's what I did. And when I dropped out that spring semester, that was the first time I came home and my drinking continued to escalate. And by the fall of, of that 
next year was when I first sought treatment for okay. alcoholism. Okay. And where was that? I went for an intake evaluation at Willing Way okay. and they suggested that I stay and I told them no thank you. Uh-huh. So okay. I, I thought, I, I just didn't know anything about this disease and I thought if I was going inpatient, I I equated that to being in a mental hospital, mm-hmm. um, which I probably qualified for as yeah. well, yeah, to right. be honest. <laughs> but um, So I, I was not a fan of the idea of staying somewhere for 30 plus days. And so there was an IOP program in St. Simons Island, Georgia, um, which is the area around where I'm from. And it was called the Hunter Center. It was run by Dr. Conway Hunter. And so I went to IOP there and I would stay sober 30 days and then I would drink, you know, put a couple months together and then I would drink again. And of course I wasn't being honest about it at all. And so that went on for probably six months. And then I went on a bender for, uh, a little over a month. And, um, I was actually working at the Hunter center part-time, but I wasn't even showing up for my part-time gig Mm -hmm. there. And, um, I came in one day and Dr. Hunter said, we're going to give you a drug test just, you know, just Mm -hmm. in case, just, you know. And, um, so I went back and talked to the nurse practitioner and she's like, I need you to, you know, take a drug test. And I told her not to waste their money. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to light up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) So I'm not going to tell you everything it's going to do. And, Uh um, when I was back there, they were already on the phone, um, in contact with someone from Pine Grove, Mississippi in Mississippi. And so that's where I went for my first residential treatment. And that was May the 5th of 2003 was when I got out there. Um, and so that was my first stint in, in residential. I was there for a little over 100 days. And then I stayed in their extended living program until I had a little over a year sober. Okay. And then and then, so what happened after you, you left there? So during that time period, I um, was very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and um, you know, had built up some time, sponsored people. I was actually um, at the time uh, working for drug court. Mm-hmm. So as a case manager, uh, I had actually stayed at the same restaurant that I started working at for six years mm-hmm. and um, actually like six and a half, almost seven years, um, stayed working there. They became like family to me. And um, but I moved on and, and started working for drug court. My sponsor um, was the coordinator and um started working there and was finishing up school. I had gotten married and I married someone in the program. Um, But the whole thing about my sobriety during that time, it became over time, it became about what I had done, you know, what I had accomplished. And I had put myself through school and I had gotten this job and, you know, I had the 3.84 GPA. I kind of lost touch with why I had mm-hmm. done those things, you know, and how I had done those things. And, and really it has to do with ego, you know, my ego, it was all about me and not about what, you know, my higher power had done for me, who I choose to call God, you know, like what the, the opportunities that God provided me because I was sober. Mm-hmm. And, um, that really put a wedge in between my relationship and my reliance upon God. Fast forward to 2010, um, I had been married uh, probably about a year at this time, and um, I was very unhappy. And, and it's not his his not his fault. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, we both play a part part in it. But, um, you know, I, I had lost myself in that relationship. I also suffer from codependency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm a great codependent. I qualify for Al-Anon and um, and. You know, I had lost myself in that relationship and I kind of woke up one morning and didn't know who I was. And instead of doing the next right thing 
like going to Al-Anon or um, working on myself, um, I decided I made a conscious decision to act out in my eating disorder. Mm. And um, it was a lot of it. I was trying to get my husband's attention. You know, I wanted him to pay attention to me. I wanted him to love me. I wanted him to really be codependent like I was. And um, so I started acting out in my eating disorder in 2010. And I, um, the marriage just continued to deteriorate and I continued to deteriorate and, you know, we were in therapy and I was in therapy, but I wasn't being honest Mm -hmm. about where I was in my disease of my eating disorder. And, um, you know, I was just, I was so sick. I got very, very sick. And, and, and so my husband and I separated And I continued to act out and he eventually filed for divorce and rightfully so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he filed for divorce and two weeks later, I picked up my first drink in seven and a half years. Wow. So I had been active in my eating disorder about nine months prior to picking up that drink after having seven and a half years sober. So had you in, in the treatment up to that point, had you, uh, dealt with the eating disorder at all? Had that been part of it? Not really. The only, the only treatment that I had ever really dealt with as far as my eating disorder was that first year in college when I came home my second semester and I saw a therapist about my eating disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, but once I moved to the next school, you know, and continued drinking and found uh, other substances to use that Mm -hmm. aided in losing weight, Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I just didn't see it as an issue. And mm-hmm. so it was never, I just never addressed it. And so when I acted out in it, I had no coping skills. Gotcha. <laughs> I didn't know how to work the steps on eating disorders. Right. You know, I, I just, I was lost. So that, so when you picked up that drink, that was around, uh, what year? 2000? It was 2010. So 10? it was in okay. September of 2010. What was that like? It was a nightmare. Mm. Um, It was, you know, because, again, I know nothing about being a functioning alcoholic. I've never been a functioning alcoholic. If I'm drinking, that's all I'm doing. I'm not going to work. I'm not Mm -hmm. paying my bills. Um, So I started drinking, and it escalated very, very quickly. It was like I had never stopped drinking. I was way worse than what I was before at 20. If I thought I was bad at 20, I was a million times worse at 28. Um, I drank more, harder, faster, you know, and, and... you know, we drink because we like the effects produced by alcohol. And for me, I, I, you know, I still don't like to deal with feelings and I was dealing with a ton of feelings. I was going through a divorce. Um, you know, I had guilt and shame about that and guilt and shame about my part and that, and the deterioration of that relationship and guilt and shame about relapsing after seven and a half years and then mourning the loss of a lot of my friends because I had built such a great community in, in and outside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. you know. And so even my my earth friends, what we like to call mm-hmm. the people that are not, don't suffer from this disease, even right. my earth friends, you know, had to separate themselves from me. And so... I mean, I had consequences, you know, probably two weeks into my drinking (laughs) and, um, you know, I lost, uh, two jobs during that time. Um, and I only drank for five months. My relapse was five months. I lost two jobs. Um, my car got repoed, um, because who's going to pay their car note when when there's booze to be had. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was having to walk to work. Yeah. Wow. It was it was it was really really bad. I don't know how much money I accrued in debt, but I'm I'm still paying for it. <laughs> Being an active addiction is such a hard 
more than full-time job. It's oh, like, it's yes. exhausting. It is. Um, yeah, it is. And I was, I was bartending, which is a great job for a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I would get there and, and I would have to drink as soon as I got there. And I remember vividly looking in the mirror in the bathroom of the restaurant that I was working in. And I opened the restaurant almost every single day. And I remember, you know, just about to lose it. And, and I remember staring at myself in the mirror and saying, just, just take a shot and you'll be Mm -hmm. fine. Just take a shot and you'll be fine. It's insane. Mm -hmm. The insanity of it, you know. And how was that too, knowing that you had been sober and like this had worked before, did that add to? Oh yes. That (laughs) talk mental anguish of, of having, you know, seven and a half years of working with other girls and, and, and working the steps, but missing that key piece, that key, you know, I suffer from a spiritual disease that only a spiritual solution can, um, can fix. And I, I miss that, but I could tell you what was on X page of the big book. I could tell you mm-hmm. how to do work, the steps I could, you know, I could quote stuff. I could tell you what story it was from, but I could not apply it into my life. I would go to AA and I picked up a handful of white chips during that five month period. And it was so extremely frustrating because mentally I, I knew what to do to stay sober but I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I could not do it. I could not stop drinking at that time. You know, it's like, you know, just don't pick up, just don't pick up for the next hour. Don't, you know, call your sponsor. And I, for some reason or another, could not connect what I, the knowledge of Alcoholics Anonymous and working those steps in my head to actually doing it physically. So painful. So extremely painful. Is, is that kind of where you were at when you, end up coming to Mar? Yes. So what were the circumstances that led to you checking into Mar? So I had, um, I had lost two jobs during that five month time and I was working at another restaurant Mm -hmm. at, at this time. And, you know, I was drinking and doing drugs all the time, um, on the clock and, and blacking out at work. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't remember closing the restaurant um, because I would just take shots and, and go to the bathroom and do extracurricular activities mm-hmm. there. And, um, I knew I was about to probably lose my job there. And my friends were trying to tell me that to get it together. And I was miserable and, um, yeah, I could not function without putting something into my system as soon as I woke up and my car had gotten repoed at the time. And so I was having to walk to work or catch rides to work and I couldn't pay my bills. I was living in a house with like five other people and they were trying to help as much as they could, you know, but they couldn't. And, um, I woke up one morning and I mean, I, I was suicidal, you know, I just, I, I'm going to cry thinking about it, but, um, you know, I wanted to kill myself. You know, I had flushed a lot down the toilet, you know, during that time. And um, I woke up and <laughs> I laugh about this. Like <laughs> the last straw was my phone had gotten cut off. You know, <laughs> my car had gotten repoed. I gotten fired from two jobs. I was divorced, but my iPhone got yeah, cut off and right. that was it. You know, <laughs> Like that was it for me. I, I surrender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sad? Yeah, right. Gosh. Um, you know, but I, uh, my phone, I got cut off and it uh-huh. was like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even keep my phone on, yeah. you know? And, um, I, um, I have a, I have two nieces and I'm obsessed with them. And, um, I looked at a picture of uh, it was my sister and, and myself and my oldest niece. And, um, 
I just thought I'm the only aunt and, um, being the selfish person that I am, I'm like, all I'm all they got. Um, but I remember thinking like, I can't do this to them, you know, like I can't kill myself and, um, I can't keep drinking because they're not going to allow me to be a part of their life. And I knew that. And, um, so I went downstairs, I was living with, you know, one of my best friends at the time. And, um, one of my, he was like a brother to me. And, um, you know, I, I asked him, I'm like, you know, Corey, can I use your phone? And, um, he was like, yeah. And, so I called my mom and I said, I need some help. And, um, <laughs> my mom was so grateful that I called, but then she was also like, find a place. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had been through this before and yeah. they were obviously very shocked. And that sure. was the last thing that they thought, um, was that I was going to call them after being sober for seven and a half years and say, you know, I relapsed and, you know, they knew about the eating disorder stuff and, you know, parents, they know, and thank God my parents started going to Al-Anon when I was 19 years old mm. and they still go twice a week, every week, wow. you know, and I'm so grateful for that program. And, um, so I called my mom and said, I need some help. And she's like, find a place. And at that point I would have gone to the state hospital. I didn't care. You know, I just didn't care. I, I would have gone anywhere because I knew I was not going to be able to stay sober on my own. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to stay sober just going to meetings. And um, I know people that can do that, but that's not what I needed at mm -hmm. the time. I needed a little higher yeah. level of care. And um, my sponsor had actually gone through Mar. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I called her and was talking to her about her and talking to it about talking to her about it. And she was like, you know, you should really call Mar. That's where I went. And she's like, now they're strict. They're strict. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, but that's what you need, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, she's like, it's a women's facility and they don't let you talk to boys and that's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I do. And, um, I called Mar and that was when Bill Anderson was here mm -hmm. and, um, he called me back and thank God for him. Mm -hmm. I thank him every time I see him. Um, Cause I knew he understood what I was going through. And, um, you know, we did an evaluation and he was like, you seem like you're a good fit. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I probably, yeah, yeah. right. you know, and that was, I think I, you know, it was like maybe three days between the time I called and the time I got, got here mm -hmm. tomorrow. And so I got tomorrow on January the 24th of 2011. Yeah. Okay. So you, you had some, you were coming in with some treatment experience and Correct. it had worked before. Yes. So what was that first day like at Mar when oh. you, when you came in? after being out for five months. Um, I, I remember being nervous, you mm -hmm. know, and you know, I'm such an alcoholic and I'm so <laughs> just think about myself all the time, you know, and I remember worried, like being worried that they weren't going to like me, you know, that I wasn't going to fit in. And, 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 and I was worried that nobody was going to understand, mm -hmm. you know, what it was like to have been sober and to have like relapsed. And, um, I met with my primary therapist that for the first time that day. And, um, she became my primary therapist and I didn't know that at the time. Um, but she, you know, her husband's actually from my hometown and I immediately felt a connection with her. And, you know, I think she had nine years at the time and, um, she was talking to me on my first day about how, you know, she had not relapsed, but she could only imagine what it would be like to go back out, you know, with nine years and then to come back in. And I knew, even though she had not done it, I knew that she knew the pain that I was, that, that I was going through at the time. And mm -hmm. so I just had an immediate connection with her and, um, that, that eased it a, mm -hmm. a bit, but it was hard. <laughs> it was really, really hard because being in feeling school or, or just starting, 
it's like, I, again, I, I knew what they were talking about. I, I knew the steps I, I, you know, the process groups and, and all this stuff. It's like, I understood all of that. I just, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I could, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, I didn't lose that time. I still had all that knowledge, but I no longer knew how to apply it in yeah. my life. And that was very frustrating. And they told me that one of my main character defects was impatience. And I was like, I'm the most patient person I know. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 you want eight years sober but you only have 30 days right. you know and i don't think i fully realized that until two years ago how impatient i am oh, really? it took a long time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like you know what they were right when yeah. they said that so so you connect with the your primary mm-hmm. counselor what's it like being in the community at that point It was incredible. I mean, honestly, I had never, it was so different from my first treatment center. Um, you know, I, I lovingly refer to Mara's big kid treatment, Mm -hmm. um, because I had never, you know, when I, I only had that one experience as far as residential goes, you know, and and we got carted around on the druggy buggy, Mm -hmm. you know? And so at Mar, you know, at the women's program, it's like, if you don't have a car, you walk to the center. And I was like, I'm sorry, what, you know, it's January, it's cold. I mean, it's, it is Georgia, so it's not that cold, but it was still cold, you Uh know? And if you, if someone in your community does have a car, you can catch a ride with him, but that you have to pay them gas, Uh you know, and you're responsible for getting to your meetings and, and, it was a shock to me, but it was exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't need someone to babysit me. I needed someone to tell me to get my behind in gear right. and do it. You right. know, like I had, I had to want to do these things to be yeah. sober. And and I was very fortunate that I I got sober with and around a, a really core group of girls that wanted the same thing, uh-huh. you know? And so the community aspect was incredible. The girls that were in three quarters were extremely helpful. Um, one of the things that I love so much about Mar and, and now being a part of Mar uh, is the alumni, you know, there was always alumni around and, and it just, it would blow my mind how, how much they wanted to help. And they would come in and do aftercare and they would come in and do spirituality and they would help pick us up and they would take us to meetings. And, and because I had been in such a lonely place, mm-hmm. you know, for those five months. And, and even before that, because when my husband and I were separated, you know, he was in the program and, you know, I had done some things that I wasn't proud of and, and, you know, that kind of separated our friend group. So I had already felt like I, I didn't have a lot of friends, you Mm -hmm. know, going through that. And, um, you know, and then I obviously isolated myself from anyone that was decent during Mm -hmm. those five months that I was drinking. And, and, um, so to have a community, you know, be, be there for me when I didn't deserve it, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that was incredible. And I had not experienced that in a long time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that I love so much about Mar is, and I still have that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have, we still have a core group of girls that we all went through Mar together, you know, within like a year or two of each other. And we're, you know, most of them married babies, you know, like wedding, like all this stuff. We still do that. You know, we still do that today. And it's awesome. That I love, I love hearing that. And I think that's one of the things that's so special about Mar because before I started working here, I had always kind of thought of treatment is for people is kind of that thing like, oh yeah, I just like snuck out for a little while and did this thing and got that taken care of. And now I'm back to my real life and I'm going to try and forget that and never bring it up. Right. Whereas when I came here to work at Mar, it's like, man, these people are like 
once they finish this program, they're like proud to be part of it. Oh, yes. Their family, they come back. They yes. help the people that are new. It, it was just incredible to what you're describing, uh, seeing that, that that just really is a theme. It is. It is. It, it's been amazing. And it's been a huge, huge part of my recovery, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the years is still being connected to Mar somehow, mm-hmm. you know, any, any way I can be, I try to stay connected to Mar. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's just had such an impact on my, it saved my life, yeah. you know? So yeah. Can you talk a little, you, you mentioned before, oh yeah. So for our listeners that may not know what a druggy buggy is, <laughs> could you, could you describe? <laughs> that's a bus. So that's a bus that, that someone, some lovely tech will uh, pick up everyone from treatment and, and cart them to and from to meetings or the center or the grocery store. It's, it's very humbling and embarrassing, you know, to yeah. roll up on the druggy buggy. So And so that was what treatment had been like for you yes, previously, yes. where you would be transported by... Yes, very okay. sheltered. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, and it's not knocking. I mean, I, sure. I did great work there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exactly what I needed at the time. But coming back to treatment at 28, I, I didn't need someone to cart me around hand and foot. I needed to want to want this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's helpful because that's kind of um, some of the day-to-day details that people are curious about right. when they're calling or when they're calling on behalf of a family member. So with at Mar, what's different is you're doing that with mm-hmm. the community, right? Yes. Like you're, yes. you're coordinating all that. Yes. You coordinate all that with the community. You know, if, if someone has a car, you ask them, can you ride? You give them gas. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't have a car, you, then you're allowed to call someone from three quarters and ask them for a ride. Um, it's, I mean, it's humbling, you mm-hmm. know, but it, it really is teaching you, um, to be an active, be active, proactive in, in your recovery and your sobriety, but it's also teaching you how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that alcoholics and drug addicts really right. suffer from. And, or I can't say all of them. I can speak for myself. I mm-hmm. hate asking for help. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's my pride and ego and, and I don't want to ask for help. And, and so off, the, off, right off the cuff, I had to learn how to ask for help, mm-hmm. you know, ask for what I needed at Mar, you know, if it was raining and nobody had a car. In my in my community, and we had to call Rita yeah. <laughs> and ask if Rita could come pick us up. Yeah, you know, or if if I didn't have a ride to spirituality, I'd have to call, you know, one of the girls in three quarters. Or I was in a community when I was in halfway, um, or in feeling school in halfway. I was one of the only ones that was in disordered eating. And so I always had to call someone and ask them, could I ride with them to the disordered eating group on Monday Mm -hmm. night? You know, so I had to learn how to do that. But by doing that, it also allows you to really form friendships, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're being vulnerable with people when you're asking for help. And so you kind of lower that ego and pride down. Uh, You're vulnerable with another woman, you know, and, and that's what, that's what friendships are built on. Mm-hmm. So it, it was awesome. That's, I needed it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great thing to because I I think that el- what you just said illustrates how that even that's therapeutic. Yes, right? the, yes. It's a huge part of of what happens. Everything here. is therapeutic. Yeah. Mar, I we have a joke and there's still a joke and and I remember hearing it when I came in. So you go to the grocery store once a week at Mar. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, there's going to be a fight at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to catch a resentment. And so when we have to process that come Monday, uh, it's, you know, somebody's mad because somebody spent X amount of dollars on this. And and, and we always say it's not about the frozen peas. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the frozen peas. It's about, you know, someone was, you know, we thought somebody was being selfish or we weren't staying inside our own hula hoop. And, right. you know, but everything, even 
going to the grocery store, shopping with your girls that, that live with you, that is therapeutic because you've got to learn to work together, uh -huh. you know, and you've got to learn to respect other people. You also have to learn you have X amount of dollars, yeah. you know, so you can't, you might not always can buy the name brand, you know, deli turkey meat. You right. got to get the Kroger brand <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, because everybody's eating on right. this. Right. So everything is therapeutic MR and that, and that's what I love about it. You know, looking back on it now, I, I didn't see that when I was going through it. Right. You know, some of the things that I thought were tedious or stupid or, you know, why would they make me do, they made me do a, an assignment over and I, I was so mad at Tiffany, you know, mm -hmm. um, I was so mad at her um, because I was trying to do the assignment perfectly. I wanted it perfect. And it was like, you know, one of those, it's like the relapse prevention one. And, and you got to draw these circles. And, um, I had gotten out a, like a plate and a bowl to trace uh, the circle. Cause wow. it was going to be perfect. Yeah. And she was like this, you know, your relapse is not your, you know, your relapse prevention plan is not going to look perfect. It's not going to be perfect. Uh -huh. I want you to go back and do it. And I was furious, you know, but that was a great lesson for me yeah. at the time. So tell, talk a little bit about, cause we haven't really touched on this before on the podcast, but the uh, disordered eating piece yes. of treatment here is cause that seems like it would be an important part of it for huge, you. Huge, huge part. Yeah. So huge part. Um, what that, um, looked like for me was, you know, I had a, a, a eating disorder therapist and then we also had someone that was interning and we have a DE group uh, mm -hmm. on Monday nights and it's a process group and you work the steps in there and, um, but you work it specifically on your disordered eating and, you know, you do a very thorough first step and you do a very thorough second step, but it, it looks a little bit differently than how you work the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's mm -hmm. the same steps, but the work that we did looked a little bit differently and, and, and I had never had that. That, uh, experience before and it was incredible. I had done multiple first, second, third, fourth, yeah. fifth, all the way through 12 in Alcoholics Anonymous before, but to work it in that manner to, to see how my life was unmanageable with my eating disorder. Um, it was, it was very eye opening. Yeah, to how, me. how was it different? I'm curious. Um, we just used examples specific to our mm. eating disorder. And then when you do like your second, um, I believe it's a second step, um, with in the disordered eating program that we offer at Mara, it's, it's an assignment about, um, a day. Oh, you do a, an assignment called a day in the life of Ed and a day in the life of without Ed. And so you literally go through your day and you write everything down that you would think if you're living with Ed. And, and again, for those of you that don't realize what I'm talking about, Ed is our eating disorder voice in, in our head that will say that we don't look good enough or, you know, that shirt makes me look fat or I want to see this food and binge, whatever your disordered eating looks like. You know, so for me, I'm a classic restrictor. So I was limiting myself to no more than 500 calories a day. Um, when I was out active in my eating disorder, I would not eat breakfast or lunch. I would eat dinner because that was only because I was home with my husband mm -hmm. and I didn't want him to notice. Um, so for me, my Ed tells me things like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not skinny enough. And if, if I'm not skinny enough, then no one's going to like me or this, this shirt makes me look fat or, you know, all, all of these things. And, and not just about appearance either, but Ed can, Ed can just talk about just me in general, how I'm not good enough. And, um, and so, um, so I did a day in the life of Ed and so what it was like to wake up and it's like, I don't want to look in the mirror, but every time I pass a window, I see myself and I think I look fat and Ed says, okay, only have, you know, um, lettuce for lunch and, and kind of, you know, make sure that you eat enough in front of people so they can see you eat, but then when they're not looking, throw it away. And, um, 
make sure you're drinking coffee because of, you know, coffee helps curb your appetite or, or what, whatnot. And, and that's, that's what a day with Ed looked like for me. But then on the flip side, you had to do a day without Ed and what would that look like? And that makes me I'm so teary today. But, um, at that time I had no idea what it would be, what a day would look like without hearing that voice in my head mm. dictating everything I did, every move I made, everything I wore, everything I said. I had I had lived with that voice for years. And and I remember thinking, and I said this, I said, this is like writing a fairy tale. I have no idea what it's like to look at the mirror and be okay with myself and not pick myself apart. I had no idea what that would look like. So I it was it was literally like writing a fairy tale because I just had no concept. And I couldn't connect with it emotionally at the time because I I did not even think that that could be a reality for me. Wow. You know, because ever since I was 8 years old, I remember being so focused on how I looked. You know, and, and what size I'm very number conscious and what size I am. And, um, I'm tall. Y'all can't see me. I'm 5'11, mm-hmm. you know. And so growing up, I was already, you know, people love to point out still to this day at 35, you're tall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's shocking, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, but that made me very aware, you know. So if I was going to be tall, I needed to look like a supermodel, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what Ed tells me. And, um, you know, so since I was eight years old, I had never, I've never not lived with that voice, you know. And so doing that for the first time, you know, working a step in that manner for the first time was so foreign to me, but so needed, mm-hmm. you know, because that was something that I, I just couldn't connect with working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed specific um, specific work on my eating disorder. So you work steps like that. You do a relapse prevention p- plan in there as well. As far as your eating disorder, you have a, a, um, a meeting or a meal at the time. We had a meal once a week with everyone in disordered eating. So on Thursdays, we all ate together. Um, we had to do affirmations. You journal. I hate journaling. Mm-hmm. I, I still listen. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would, they would pick on me and like they would laugh at me, uh-huh. you know, laugh with me, not at me, but they would laugh with me because I would journal about how I hated journaling, you know. <laughs> So, um, but my therapist, you know, that was there, she was actually the intern and she ended up being the DE therapist for a while there. She would say, Hey, you know, one thing about you is that you have no problem expressing what you don't like to do, but you do it anyway. Mm. And that's what I would do. You know, (laughs) that's what I would do. I didn't like doing it, but I did it anyway, Mm. because I desperately wanted to be better. And, um, so you have the group meal once a week, you went to a disordered eating or EDA meeting or OA meeting once a week. Um, so that's what that looked like. So you have additional work, you've got additional journaling, but I need it every every minute of that Mm -hmm. to help me and I was very involved I stayed in the DE group um until well over a year sober um you know I had been out of Mar for a while I might have been in there until I was like two years sober and then um I actually had an experience happening in my life and and it triggered some Ed thoughts and it scared me It, it scared me big time and um I felt like my life was out of control. And when I feel like my life is out of control, that's one thing that my disease, my Ed will tell me, you can control what you put in your body. And um, it really, really scared me because I knew that's how I went out the last time mm-hmm. was with my eating disorder. And so when I started having those thoughts again, I um, 
I immediately got back in contact with my therapist at Mar, who was still at Mar at the time, and um, started seeing her on a regular basis. And I said, I need to go back to DE group. Mm -hmm. And so Lauren was the DE therapist at the time um, there. She was the intern when I was in treatments, and then she became the um, primary DE therapist there. And so I called Lauren, and she's like, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, I need to come Mm -hmm. back. I'm scared. And so I, I came back and Allison was volunteering too there. And, um, so you're just coming back for that one group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I came back for oh, that. That's so cool. Yeah. And I, and I stayed, I stayed in that group for a year. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in that wow. group for a year. And the only reason, you know, I, I came every Monday and, um, the only reason why I left was cause I got moved to Florida for oh, a job. Wow. <laughs> so, but yeah, I kept going and it was a huge part of, of me, you know, just really working for my recovery mm-hmm. again. And that's what Mar told me. If you want this, you've got to work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the work doesn't stop, you mm-hmm. know, it becomes easier over time. You know, it's easier for me to ask for help. It's easier for me to pick up the phone. It's easier for me to work the steps. It's easier for me to, you know, do writing when I need to do writing. And, um, so when that, because Mar had taught me all of that, because how it's structured from the mm-hmm. get go, um, when all those feelings you know, came back and my Ed started getting very, very loud again. It was easy for me to say, I need to, you know, I need to come back and be a part of DE. I need to come back and and have therapy once a week, Mm -hmm. you know, because I, I don't want to be active in my eating disorder. I don't want to pick up a drink. I don't want to pick up a drug and I don't want to be miserable, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so I, you know, because of what you guys instilled in me when I got here, um, it was easy you know, for me to ask for help when I really needed it. That's what I love about that story is mm-hmm. that you didn't really, it sounds like you didn't really hesitate to, no. to call Mar. And then, um, they said, come, yeah, come back to one of our groups. And, and and I'm sure you were able to help people that were new into recovery. Yes. Um, because you had been, th- that's, yeah. that's just great. It was, it was incredible, you know, and it's, you know, Alice and I, she was, you know, leading the group. We had actually, it was awesome because DE had gotten so big that they had two groups now, mm. which was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we still met at, we still met on Monday, but we split. And so, um, so Allison was, was my therapist in that group. And, you know, when I left, um, she told me that I was really more like, you know, her co-leader wow. than, than being, you know, just a participating member. And and I never really looked at it like that, but it did give me an opportunity to help people that were still in treatment or, and help people that were still early into the recovery of their eating disorder and, and share with them. And, you know, I hope, you know, by coming back and saying, okay, here I am at, you know, three years sober, three to four years sober, you know, it's okay to come back for help when you need yeah. it. Cause you're scared, yeah. you know? And, um, and that's what I did. And, 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 I don't know what would have happened had I not done that, Mm -hmm. you know, I Mm -hmm. mean, it left to my own devices. I self-destruct. That's what I do. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) That's, that's, that's such a great story because I think that's, I wish, or I hope people can hear that when they're thinking about coming to Mar, that this is more than just 90 days or it's like a lifetime thing that's there for you. It is a a family that you're part of. Absolutely. I mean, Mar, that you guys are my family, Mm -hmm. you know, and I say this, you know, 
I always, anytime I meet anyone that works with more, I'm like, I love you guys. Yeah. I love you guys so much. Like, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much. You know? Oh. And, and until they know that I went through more, they probably think I'm really creepy, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but it is, it, it's a family. And, and, you know, there are women that still work at the women's center that, that were there when I was there, wow. you know? And then the other day I had, um, I had someone call me that was, the nurse at Mar when I was, the, when I was there and she called me asking me about the facility that I work for right now. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's Haley. It's Haley. And she's yeah. like, Oh my gosh, wow. how are you? You know? And it was like instant, instant reconnection. And two of my closest, closest girlfriends and I went through Mar, you know, and like it, you know, it's just, they'll be a part of my life forever. I mean, really they are my forever people. Wow. That's so great. Mm -hmm. I love, I love hearing that. So, and do you still every once in a while go to groups? Or, oh yeah. Or? I was actually just right before we did this, I was actually just talking to someone about how, cause I just moved back to the Atlanta area mm -hmm. uh, almost six weeks ago. I've been in Florida, um, for work and then, um, moved back to Georgia and made my way back to Atlanta. And, um, so I was actually just talking to someone a minute ago about how I can get back involved, um, mm -hmm. with Mar and, and cause it's just so important for me to get back. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's so important, you know, I think it was made such a huge impact on me when I was there to see mm -hmm. alumni come back and how much they cared about us. And it just blew my mind. I want, I want to do that for someone. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I live, I currently live in Sandy Springs, but I try to get out to Gwinnett, which is where the women's center is like at least once a week. And so if I'm going out there anyway, I want to do something with Mar. And so, mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at, probably going to help volunteer at aftercare on Wednesdays, oh, you know, just because I needed those women, mm -hmm. you know, I needed those alumni when I was there. And, and I, if I can help one girl, mm -hmm. you know, if I can, if I can, if one girl can relate or I can relate or we can connect, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, it's so worth it. So, yeah. but I do try, you know, since I just got back, I'm, I'm very excited. We've got some events coming up that with women alumni that I've already got on my calendar, oh, that's you great. know, the Mar Olympics mm -hmm. is so much fun already on my calendar. So I definitely want to help as much as I possibly can. That's great. Yeah. And that's, a, that's another thing. There's always, since we have these alumni coordinators, there's always something like that, like right. a picnic or yes. Olympics or yes. things softball game oh yeah uh, water rafting yes. yeah yeah lots of things to to stay involved with it so what this is the last question i always ask people what was one thing that you would pass on to the listeners if you if you could um it, you know for me if you're listening and you're struggling and and you're you're thinking about more do it and in my opinion there is no better facility that will give you the tools, you know, and get you started on the path to recovery. Um, like Mar, the programming is incredible. Um, the community is really, really clutch here, mm -hmm. you know, as far as like having that community aspect and, um, you know, if you're thinking about it, do it, mm -hmm. you know, do it, just give it a chance. Like, what do you, what do you have to lose at this point? Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, I, I had nothing but my life left to lose, you know? And so I, I, I took a chance on Mar and, and it has paid off tenfold, wow. tenfold. Wow. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Haley. This was, this was so much fun and I, I'm looking forward to putting it out into the world. Thank so everyone you. else can Thank hear. you for asking me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you want to stay in contact with us, you can look for us on Facebook and Twitter. We also have a lot of free resources, videos, and articles on our website about the disease of addiction, how it affects families, and other topics related to treatment. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.